welcome. Glad that you're here. On the way into all of our services, they hand you the notes, and if you want to get those out, that would be great. You might want to get a pen out. There's some fill in the blanks, and in, uh, in, importantly right now, uh, if you do have a pen, a pencil, a way to take notes, uh, do that for me. I've got a couple of things that I want to talk to you about real quick that I, I want you to write them down. I want you to remember them. Uh, a couple of details that might just be important to you. We've talked about Life Day now multiple times. Let me, let me say this so that everybody hears it this weekend. Um, why do we do it? We're one church. We meet in multiple locations because we think that's the best way God has given to us to leverage who we are. And rather than building something that's just big, 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 we can have the resources of a big church but put in multiple communities. And I say this at all of our meet and greets so everybody hears me on this. What is my goal with multiple campuses? World domination. That's what I'm looking for. Okay. But if I can't get world domination, I'll take Denver. How's that right there? And we'll start with South Denver. So um, so that to say, look, next week when we gather, I know some of you are already deciding it's, it's, it's Memorial Day and there's other things that we could do. Folks, to be a part of something um, more than just hearing a message, that's why we do this. We're a community. I'm asking you, come be a part of community next week. Even if you're like, I don't run. I don't either. I walk, and they basically drag me across the finish line to finish it up. That uh, begins earlier uh, than the, the 11 o'clock service. You could come out and just cheer for people. If you want to come earlier that be a part of the fun, the activities, that's great. Service will be at 11 o'clock. Please hear me on this. We do one service next weekend at Redstone. So if you show up here, we won't be here. If you go to one of the other campuses, we won't be at the campuses. So it's one service, one church, one day next weekend. Okay, all right, all right, all right. And still, somebody will show up here next weekend. So <laughs> here's what I'd like you to write down. Uh, these two things to remember. Um, had, had a family do something really... Um, Neat in response. Uh, we've, had, we've had two neat things in response to just talking about uh, tithes and offerings uh, in the summertime. Um, one is, and I'll talk about this in the next couple of weeks, uh, we've had a house given to us. Uh, a paid-for house that we're, we're going to liquidate the house, and it's better than $300,000, a wonderful thing to have happen. And uh, we've got something very critical that we want to do with it, and I'll explain that. The other one, I had, a, I had a, another family. They have... Um, so maybe you're looking for an Audi. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, you never know. It's a family that's given to the church um, an Audi S8, which is top-of-the-line uh, Audi. And they've given it for these two purposes. Um, they, they, uh, they would ask that 25% of what it goes for would go to um, the mission we support in Peru. And then the other 75% would go to the church for the things that we have planned in the future. So here's, I'll just, if you're looking for an Audi S8, right? It's a beautiful car. I mean, it is gorgeous. It is, it is a wonderful car. Uh, if you would be interested in purchasing it, if you're like, well, I'm looking for a good deal. That's not the point here. The point here is how you could do something in missions and to help your church. Here's what I want you to do. Contact the church offices, okay? Uh, if you're just looking and you're interested in something like that, maybe, maybe uh, for yourself or maybe you know somebody who is, uh, I think it's a wonderful thing that's been done for us in this situation. And I don't know the best way to liquidate it, so I thought I would bring it to the church first to see if maybe there was somebody here who's interested. All the details, mileage and all of those things, um, if you want to see it, what have you, 
uh, contact the church offices this coming week, and we would be happy to get that to you. Uh, what, what a marvelous thing that somebody would do something like that uh, for the kingdom, but for our church. They, they love their church that much, and I so appreciate that they would, uh, that they would do that. Uh, last thing, too, next week, um, you know, I, here, here's just what happens. Um, we get together next week. It's not a thing where people remember tithes and offerings, and yet all that we do continues rolling forward. This would be a good week to give online if you don't. And I would ask you, when I talk about recurring giving, I'll just ask you one more time, if you're in a position to do recurring giving, through the website, this is why it makes sense. It's when we have snow days, or we do events like this, or Christmas, or Christmas Eve, or things where we're not gathered together, and we're out of our normal element of how we do things. This is where it would be very beneficial for us. So would you please think about that this week? Uh, you can do that at jfc.org through a number of different uh, situations, and I would appreciate that. All right, uh, enough commercials. Let's jump into our message right here. It's called Infused. We started it um, uh, last weekend. Pastor Dan taught. Uh, Dan did an outstanding job last weekend. Dan DeMay, listen, you know, we have a lot of good teachers in our church, and we are blessed, and they are, I, I, I don't know churches that have as many as we do, but I wanted to thank Dan for his ministry. Dan, Dan's a great teacher and just did a good job for us. Really appreciate it. Um, so, so here's how it worked out. Uh, Pastor Terry, who is in charge of connections, and Terry tries to find all oh, multiple different ways to connect people. One of the ways is to find the interest that people have and then to put them together. So Terry is right now, he's in Arizona. He's doing this golf connection. And you might look at it and think, well, that's a softball. How do I join that group? You actually have to go through this incredible Bible study. You have to, you have to do all these things before you get to go to Phoenix and play golf. And I was a part of it. He does it in two shifts. So I was on the first part this week, and Dan's down there right now with the second part. Terry put it together. And when, um, when, when I was there Monday morning, uh, you get up early, and there's a devotional, and then, and then the guys uh, separate to take the devotional and listen to the Lord. And I walked out, and I saw a guy was sitting outside at a house that, that we had rented. We were all staying together. And um, uh, he had his sunglasses on because the sun was coming up. And I walked by, and I waved at him and didn't move. And, and I thought, you know, is, is he oak? So I got a little bit closer, and I waved at him again. Didn't move. So now I'm thinking, did he have a stroke? Uh, you know, what, what's going on here? So I finally said, Ed, Ed, are you, you're oak? And, he, and he, he said, man, I'm trying to get infused right now. And that was Dan's message. Part of it was to be in the presence of the Lord and to be infused with the presence of God. Dan's main message was that we are uh, in the world, but we're not of the world. And rather than having the world's influence dilute us, our job in the world, listen, is to occupy in Jesus' place and to influence the world at large. Do you agree with that? And I would say to you today, looking at the way culture is going, so many believers, man, they're just hunkering down and they're afraid to engage. They're afraid to be a part of it. They're afraid to get into it. And that's where this message really uh, went last week is the infusion part that Man, we, we are the fragrance of life. We carry the greatest message. The Holy Spirit is in us. The opportunity to, to infuse the world is there. I'm going to go in a different way this weekend. I'm going to talk about being infused into the body. And, and when I was thinking of the word infused and the idea of infusion, uh, probably the, if, if I were to say to you, give me an example of, of something we use every day in tea bags or one of those things. Would you agree with that? That's just an easy one. You take a tea bag, you dip it in water, and what's in the tea bag infuses the water. But have you ever thought about this? The water infuses the tea bag too. 
two things happen, not one thing. And when you come to church, there's supposed to be two reactions that happen. One is every one of us are supposed to bring into this place. When we gather together, we all have something that we're supposed to be contributing to the whole. And some people are like, well, I don't feel like what I have is very, very much to offer. What I do here is very insignificant. So let me talk to you about, just very quickly, significant versus insignificant ministries. I know the significant ones are the ones that are up front, and they're big, and they're loud, and they're the ones that we look at, and we think, wow, man, that, that's really doing something. But let, let me give you an example. In my house, when you first walk in, we have this really cool, beautiful chandelier that Chris had installed over our dining room table, and it's gorgeous, but that's not the light that's most important to me in my house. There's a tiny little night light <laughs> that is in my bathroom <laughs> that at my age, I have to use it several times every night, and it keeps me from smashing my toe in the bathroom. And so the grandiose one is this really bright, that if you walked in, you'd go, wow, look at that. But we turn it on I'd, maybe a handful of times a year. It's not the one that matters. The one that matters is the one that's generally not seen. And yes or no, that's the way it is in church too. Most of people look at it and they think to themselves, I have, I, I, I'm part of a body, yes, but I have so little to contribute. And what I do, shaking somebody's hand, giving out a bulletin, working in a coffee bar, greeting somebody out in a park, that's just, it's so insignificant, Pastor. It's not insignificant. Generally, we tend to think always the, the, the bigger is the more significant. And most of the time, the bigger is just the thing that's seen. Right. And it's the one that goes day in and day out that gets used all the time that's the most significant. So that when I begin to talk to you about being infused in a body, I don't want you to think, ah, come on. That's, that's not a, it is a big deal. What, what if, if we're part of a body and it's all supposed to work together, just, just think, what if your liver just said to you one day, I just don't want to do my job? It just, it's just insignificant. It's, it's the face is what everybody looks at. The hair. For some of us. I'm looking at a guy with hair so that nobody thinks he's talking to me. No, I'm not looking back there. So you don't have to go looking right here. Uh, it, if the liver... I, the body would die. How many bodies across America that meet every weekend are dying? Because people don't get, I contribute. And they feel just insignificant. God, what, what a liar the devil is. What a liar he is. Being infused. A part of something, not just what you take in, but what you give out. So infused into the body. So this weekend, it's not a message to where you'll look at it and you'll go, I've never heard that before. I'm actually going to talk to you uh, about communion and baptism. So maybe you say to yourself, I know, I get it. Stay, stay in a place where I could teach you and lead you into something right now, infused. Something that you contribute to and that puts something inside of you. First uh, Corinthians Chapter 12, 27. Paul writes these really powerful words. All of you together are Christ's body, and each one of you is a separate and necessary part of it. To understand that then begins to lead into why we do certain things that we do. Sometimes I think that we see church as what's in it for me or just my, the thing that I get out of it. But the very word communion, 
is the idea, it's supposed to be something that we all do together, that we enjoy together, that we partake together, that we infuse into it, and that we receive from it. And so often, somehow, communion has become more ritual and less thought of, and especially less enjoyed as a community. And I know over the years, and it's been a lot of years, it's been to pastor someplace 18 years, what a privilege that is, but I think to myself, over the years, I've tried to mix communion up at times. I've used different, different crackers. You know, you, you want to know why people leave churches? It's over crackers, to be honest with you. It's over little insignificant things sometimes. So I, I added wine to it. and People just, well, we want grape juice. and it, it's, So I try to just keep it fresh and new all the time and add new elements. And for those of you who have been around for a while, you remember we used to put crosses up, and I'd send you to the cross at the end of the service to take communion because I wanted every time we gathered together some experience to happen for you. And then I knew when I set that up at some point, that would become old, so I would take it and try to switch it up. Right now, one of the things that I want to work on with our staff is that we've got to find a new way to infuse the life back into our body again for this. That it can become so just ritual and mundane, and we miss the point of it. Maybe the beginning of doing that is then talking about this. So there are no insignificant parts. Everything that God wants us to do, all of us are to play a part in this. So let me give you two ways that we're infused. And when I say infused, I mean that we give and that we receive. And the first one is communion. And let me just talk about communion very quickly. Uh, Maybe some things you haven't considered before. Maybe you do get these things. Maybe you know more than I do. So just maybe just consider what I have to say. But communion, where does it come from? Well, recently I got into a series where we taught a little bit about this at Easter. And you'll find the very idea of communion all the way back in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. You remember the Passover, and I put it just in a condensed version, Exodus chapter 12, 6, and 7. This begins the idea of taking the sacrificial lamb. All of Israel, uh, the, the Old Testament is just a type and a shadow, and the Bible says that the fullness of all those things is found in Jesus. So when we read the Old Testament, we're not reading it simply for the historical significance. We're reading it to find God was pointing to Jesus all through the centuries and all through the millennia. Everything was always pointing to Jesus. Communion, the Passover, thousands of years ago, was all to point to who Jesus is. All of Israel, uh, before the Day of Atonement, were to pick the sacrificial lamb. It had to be unblemished and perfect. Jesus was unblemished and perfect. Had to be a male, had to be a certain age. All, All these things point to things that Jesus... They were always pointing to Jesus. But here's what had to happen. All the people together, before they sacrificed the lamb, you would go out and everybody, men, women, young, old, children, didn't matter, everybody had to touch the lamb. Why did they have to touch the lamb? Because they were to personally understand this lamb was about to be slaughtered for my sin. They didn't want just men doing it or just women doing it or just elders or just, just people that had big ministries that everybody saw. Everybody was to participate So they'd all walk through the line and everyone would touch the lamb with the understanding this lamb is about to be sacrificed for my sin. Remember they would take the blood of the lamb and then in that particular case they they took the lamb and the blood was put on the doorpost of the house and the angel of death when it came through Egypt if the blood was applied to the household the angel of death passed over. That's where the word Passover comes from. Jesus on the night that he's betrayed he's called through scripture the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He himself said, I'm about to shed my own blood for the forgiveness of your sin, and I want you to take this into your life so that the angel of death passes over you. 
passes you by. You're not called to death. You're called to life. So Jesus then takes the truth of the Old Testament, the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb, uses himself as that example. And the very night that he's celebrating the Passover, this is hard. This is where teaching becomes superfluous because unless you can see it in your own imagination, you'll not get on saying, I can't imagine a more significant event than Jesus celebrating Passover and teaching his disciples, this was always about me and here's what I'm about to do. Can you imagine how that must have been for them? Such a better teacher than I could ever be. I just, that's... uh. So Exodus 12, 6 and 7 just simply reads, Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, the lambs, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. When it says all the members, they didn't all take turns. They all touched the lamb so that they all participated in it. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses. You remember that when they did that, the angel of death then would pass over. Jesus, in the same way, teaches that this blood, when he passes the cup of the Passover around, tells them, this is now my blood, which is a new covenant or agreement between the Father and his people. And whoever participates in what I've done passes from death to life. It's communion, you can know it, but I've taught this for years. The problem is you can know it here, but until you get it here, you don't, it's like the idea of fast. How many times? Never go fast. Try to describe to someone what you can get a definition. Love. Unless you experience love, I can give you a definition, but love is to be experienced. This is, you can get it here. But to get it here in your heart. And every time we take communion, it's to infuse us. It's to enter us. And and who we are is to enter in then to to the body. All right, the fill in the blanks real quickly. Communion is community for believers. Communion is supposed to be community for believers. Not a meal we take by ourselves. Not an experience that happens for me and my spouse or me and my family. Community is supposed to be. Communion is supposed to be a community for believers. It's when we're all supposed to come together and celebrate the same thing. We all touch the same thing. We all identify with the same thing. We all lay our hands on the same thing and we participate together that this was done for us. And my question again to you is, we we can know it here, but how easy is it to slip from not touching it in your... Can you... I can take it without it touching my heart. You probably don't have that problem. But I can take it because it's a ritual that we do in church. Anybody else ever experienced that right there? Yes, sir. Yes. That's not infusion. That's not, it's not seeping in. It's not entering. It's not infusing me. Communion is identity for believers. It's identity for believers. It's the identity that we belong at a table together, that there's a place that's set for us. I, I, I used this example years ago. Let me, let me show you where I, I got this from in the Bible. Um, 
my children growing up, it's the whole idea of dinner together. I hope, I hope those of you who are raising children or want to raise children or have, I hope you got the joy of having dinner with your family. It's, it's taught today secular and believers that there is a, there's an identity and a community and a connection that happens around a meal that you can't get anyplace else. And you could blow it in so many other places as a parent, but if you get that one thing right, you'll be surprised how many miles you get out of that as the years go by. Get the community that comes from having dinner together. And no matter how busy we were, and we were busy, and our family went 50 different directions, trying to have at least one or two meals a week. I would love to tell you a night, but that wasn't a reality for us. If we were lucky, we could do it a couple of times a week. My oldest, when she graduates early in her life, she was 11 years old when the Lord spoke to her about being a missionary. 11. And I remember her coming and telling Chris and I about wanting to do that. And I remember thinking to myself, I, I don't want you to do that. <laughs> but I, I don't want to mess with something God has said, but I also don't want to encourage something that God hasn't said. So to be honest, I just left it alone. Here was my, if God really said this, let's see what happened. Does that make sense? Let's just wait and see what happens. So by the time she was 16, she had come to us and she said, I want to graduate early. Um, and I want to spend the next several years of my life in youth with a mission and pursue what God has for me educationally through this and I still thought to myself, well, let's just see what happens. And she did everything that she said. She graduated early. Uh, she actually went to work at Nordstrom's after that at 17, wasn't supposed to. And somehow that took place. And then saved up all of her money to be able to pay for the whole thing herself and went away. What a, what a tough time that was for Chris and I. Our first one, leaving the nest and going so far away and spending so many years away doing missions. But I remember when she would come home from time to time. And it was few and far between, a couple times a year. When she would come home, she would never, ever call us from the airport and say, Hey, I'm back in Denver. If you guys have some time, come down here and see me. So, man, we would be planning for weeks, if not months, that she was coming home. And when she came home, God, how much fun we would have. Here, here was the weird thing. When she first left... Chris would always set a place at the table for her, even though she wasn't going to be there that night. It's just our way of feeling a connection to her and feeling like it was a part. And when she came home, she never said to us ever one time, do I have a place at this table? When she came home, she acted like she had never left. As soon as she walked in, her stuff was wherever she walked in. Anybody else have a kid like I got five of them like that. <laughs> and her room was her room. Amen. And the place at the table was her place at the table. Amen. She never had to ask us, even though I've been gone or I've been away or I'm doing something else or I'm, do I still have room here? She always knew there's room at my father's table. Amen. Jesus, on the very night he was betrayed, I want you to listen to this. We never quote this part of the story. I want you to listen to this scripture. Luke chapter 22 is Jesus going through the Passover with the disciples. In verse 29 and 30, these are the words of Jesus. If you take communion with me, here's what I grant you. Here's, these are his words. 
I grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. I grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And so here's what I would just simply say to you. That no matter where you are in life and no matter how far you go, and sometimes away, close, on to other things, whatever, I want you to know one of the things that's always supposed to take place for you when you come into this body, you're supposed to know there's a place for you in this body and you never have to ask yourself, do I fit in here? And if we could get that thing right for people, that one, that one thing, that when you walk in this place, you know there's room for me at this. Not only am I wanted, but they set a place for me here. How good would the body be if we got that one thing right all the time? Amen. That I belong here. That I've been granted a place that you never have to ask. You never have to walk in and feel like, you know, do I fit? Not only do you fit, man, we're not the same without you. Amen. And when you're gone, the place setting is there, but it's not the same. It's just not the same. That's infused. That, I, in your heart, is there a longing for that kind of a place to connect to? God, that's... When we say the recovery and the discovery of the promises of God, some people, church is that duty and obligation and not the place that they ever felt like I really belong there. And if I could cause you to either discover that or recover that, then we were successful as a church. Hear me say that to you. That's what we would want for you. To be infused that when we take it, it's not just some ritual that we go through, but that it enters us and we are a part of something and it pulls the whole together. Let me talk about baptism for a minute. Why should you be baptized? Uh, I get this question often. I was a Catholic kid. I was baptized and I don't remember it. I, I, I was less than a year. I don't remember it. The ritual was done because of this belief. If I were to have died, as long as I was baptized, I would go to heaven. The problem with that is you cannot find that in Scripture, and you need to hear me say that. It's not bashing. It's not, I'm just telling you a truth right now. Baptism in and of itself won't get you into heaven. No more than being nice or giving money or telling somebody about Jesus will get you into heaven. They're just simply ordinances. Communion won't get you into heaven. There's a purpose and a meaning behind it. So let me just quickly talk about baptism, why you should be baptized as an adult and not as a kid alone. Acts chapter 16. This is one story. When I was going through my message looking at all the people, every new believer in the New Testament, if the Bible talks about them and their experience, every one of them were baptized. I'll say that one more time. If the Bible gives any information, no, not, don't say it after me. <laughs> every new believer, if the Bible gives their story, and it doesn't in every case, 
But if the Bible gives any part of their story, it always includes the, the fact that every new believer was baptized. Acts is full of new believers being baptized. Here's a neat story. Acts chapter 16, 14. One of those listening to Paul teaching was a woman named Lydia. She was a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were, what's the word? Baptized. She invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. She persuaded us. If you know anything about her, let me just say a couple things real quickly, uh, just uh, outside of the story that may not be. Um, when people look back at that time and they think that women had insignificant roles, she was wealthy and supported Paul's ministry when he was a tent maker and couldn't support himself. So this is a businesswoman who was doing very well when she heard that she did not become a believer because it was a way for her to move up in the world. It actually lowered her status, to be honest with you, amongst people of that day. But the story is just so common of any new believer that once they became a believer, the first act of being a believer was to be baptized. You will find that with the Apostle Paul. You'll find that with all the disciples. You'll find it with Jesus. Every story of a new believer that the Bible gives any indication about, everyone was baptized. So, to fill in the blanks, baptism is community for believers. Can you guess what the other one is? Baptism is identity for believers. But let me talk about baptism real quickly. And if you got a pen, this is why I wanted you to have it out, because these are not in your notes. And I wrote these down. In my own thinking, of let me give you four reasons to be baptized if you have not been baptized as an adult. Four reasons. You might want to write these down. You may want to use them with your children. You may want to talk about this with your spouse at some point. And maybe there's even someone uh, that's within your realm of influence that the question will come up. But let me give you four reasons to be baptized. And if you haven't been baptized, don't, don't let me lead you. Don't, I know, I know the, see, the argument in your head will be, I don't, it's embarrassing, or I, I was baptized as a kid, or I don't really need to do that, do I? Let me lead you right now. Three people shook their heads, yes, yes just now. <laughs> do this with me. Let me lead you. Yes. Okay, yes, all right. Let me lead you. All right, four reasons why you should be baptized. One, it's a symbol of God's grace. Baptism represents you were old, you were dead, you were done, and when you found Jesus, he raised you to newness of life. It's a symbol of God's grace. And if you want God's grace, then a symbolism is not an ugly thing. It's a wonderful thing. How about this? Four reasons to be baptized. It's a symbol of loyalty. John Piper, if you know who he is, here's what John, John Piper said about it. Faith unites us to Christ. Baptism symbolizes the union. I have done... I, if, if, if I say hundreds, I hope I'm not exaggerating. Let me say more than a hundred weddings. And in every wedding I've ever done, there's always one symbol that represents the commitment that the couple makes to each other. Tell me what this symbol is. No one ever says to me, that is so embarrassing to wear. <laughs> never. I have never seen a bride... Look at her ring and go, that is just so embarrassing. 
I've never seen a guy go, no, I, 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 you know, come on. I'd do that if I were a kid, but not as an adult. You make a commitment to each other, and you symbolize it with a ring, yes or no? I lost my wedding ring yesterday, my 25th anniversary band wedding ring. Um, Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. So I'm putting my other ring on my ring finger. Um, There's no... There's no embarrassment or shame or we wear these because it symbolizes a commitment that we made to a person, yes or no. And if you're a believer, you made a commitment to Jesus, and the symbol then is baptism. Doesn't that make sense? And some are like, I still won't listen. Okay, let me give you three. Four reasons to be baptized. It's a symbol of obedience, Acts 2.38. Peter says, repent and be baptized. Jesus said, go into all the world and baptize. It's a symbol of obedience. Last but not least, it's a symbol of unity. We are to become like Jesus, and I can say this 100% without any ambiguity. Jesus was baptized. And if you're a believer, you should be baptized. My action point on this, next week when we have Life Day, we'll do baptisms. I think last year we baptized 150 people or something like that at Life Day last year. Uh, Some of them were just spontaneous. Some of them were people who had signed up ahead of time. Some were adults. Some were kids. Some were husbands and wives together. Some husbands baptized their wives. Some wives tried to drown their husbands. It was a... (laughs) (laughs) It was an awesome experience. Look at me real quick. I'm not talking down about how you grew up. And I'm not taking that experience away from you. But here's where you go to church now. Here's your relationship with Jesus now. And if you didn't know, now you know. And if you haven't been baptized, it doesn't get you into heaven. But it is an act of obedience that every believer should publicly make a stance on. You should publicly make a stance on it and be baptized. If you haven't been baptized, you need to get baptized. Make sense? Okay. If you have questions about that, please contact any one of my pastors who would be happy to uh, answer your questions on whether or not you go to heaven or all all those things. It won't get you into heaven, but it is an act of obedience that God rewards. That I believe with all of my heart. So let me pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity uh, just to be able to, to hear what you have to say, to think about, Lord, how we participate. Sometimes we think these types of ministries are insignificant, but they are the backbone that everything else is built on. And even more than that, God, when we participate in these things, Lord, we're, we're participating in a greater, a, a far more reaching understanding of something inside of us and the chance to give back to the community we connect to. Church, as you're listening to me pray, let me just ask you this question. Do you feel disconnected? Do you feel like there's not a place for you? And do you feel like they're just nice-sounding words, Pastor, but it really doesn't happen for me? Let me ask you a question. Do you do what I'm telling you to do? I don't mean that harshly. But sometimes we're sitting there saying, why am I not having these things happen for me? And we don't walk in the things the Lord tells us to walk in. What's going on in your heart? 
What's the saturation and infusion point? What's your obedience level when the Bible simply tells us these are things we're to do together and things that we do as symbolism of what we believe? They're not insignificant. They're not small. Perhaps they're not the most grandiose things, but they're what makes it all work together, and they keep the life flowing. So what would the Lord say to you about that? I know for some of you, that's white knuckle, like, Pastor, I just don't know if I could actually do it. All right. Let's talk to the Lord about it this week. See what he says to you. May the Lord give you courage. May the Lord give you boldness. May the Lord remind you of what he's done for you. And I pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Hey, I'm going to let each of your campus pastors now close your service and direct any of the ministry time that's going on.